Over the last four weeks, we combined with Grace Church over in Logan, and we were doing a series called When Church Hurts, and we began to talk about different ways that the church can hurt others or that we've been hurt by the church, and really kind of summed it up at the end of what do we do with some of that hurt. But on week three, I was beginning to prepare a message on judgment and, and how we experience judgment and cast that judgment as you know individuals who follow Jesus and as I began to write that message, I had this moment where I kept getting the feeling that God was saying, I'm not done in this area yet. I'm not done with this topic yet, Jimmy. And I began to feel like I left you a little bit hanging as a church. Because at the end of our service, after we began to talk about judgment, I had this statement and this dream at the end that I set before you, and in, I, I basically said, instead of judging each other on our behaviors and our opinions, what if we had a new measuring stick? Love. What if we measured our maturity based on our love for God and our love for others? I, I went on from that point to just simply say, here's some ways that you can assess and deal with your judgment, but I left this new measuring stick floating in the wind. And when I walked off that stage, I felt a very, very confirming notion from God of that's what I'm not done with. This idea of measuring love, and, and I have not stopped thinking about how do you measure love? How do you measure love? It, it's kind of a weird thought, isn't it? How do you measure a feeling or an idea that isn't really measurable in any sort of quantity or way that we know. And this is kind of what I want to explore over the next two weeks together as a church is what does it really mean to love? What does that look like and how can we measure it? Next week, we're going to talk about this idea of, of how we can love God and how we need to love ourselves and measure that. But today, I simply want to continue in that series of judgment and talk about how do we love others. And if you missed any part of that series, uh, I would highly encourage you, jump onto YouTube, go to Crossbridge On Demand that we have there, and you can catch up on those messages. It was such a good series but I've been coming back to how do we measure, how do we measure love? And, and I just continue to have like a measuring stick as my, my thought in trying to, because uh, it makes sense that we measure things with a measuring stick. And while I'm sure that this is probably going to come up short in fully explaining, I really hope that at least gives us something that we can look at and remember. And, and you know, it's funny, today... I will have been married for 6,540 days. I count every day and I love it. But I can tell you now that 6,000 days ago when I told my wife Eileen that I loved her, that looked very different than this morning when I kissed her on the head as I walked out the door and reminded her, I love you. And I've said I love you every single day that we've been married but don't you think that the I love you today looked different than the one 6,000 years ago? I, I, I do. Because in a healthy marriage, the truth is, my love grows. And, and as my love grows, my I love you means a little something different. It's deeper. 
it carries with it a different weight. I remember when Eileen came to me for the first time telling me she was pregnant. And I kind of freaked out a little bit because I thought, well, I, I've given all of my love that I have to you. What in the world am I going to do with another person? And when my daughter Kayla was born, I could not believe how much my love grew for her and for my wife. And when my wife came for the second time to say, I'm pregnant again, I thought, oh no, there is no possible way I could love another child the way that I love Kayla. And when my son Jams was born, I could not believe how much my love had grown. And when my third child was born, I could not believe that I could look at Ruby with the same amount of love that I looked at Eileen and my And I thought, what just happened? My love had expanded. But sometimes I worry that we think at some point we're going to run out of love that our love is limited, and because it's limited, because it's finite, I have to choose who can I love, when can I love them, and how much do I have to spare, because I want to make sure that those who deserve it get it, and those who don't, I can withhold it. The problem with this is I think it impacts how we understand God's love for us. That we view God's love, and we hear all the time, well, God loves you, God loves you. But if my love is limited, sometimes I worry that we think his love is limited. That, that there's someone else who's more deserving of his love than you and I are. And so we think that there's not enough on that stick for us. And we're left wondering, am I loved by anyone really? Could God love me? And I want to tell you that God's love is not limited. There could be nothing further from the truth. And I'm, we're reminded of this from the Apostle Paul. If you go into 1 John chapter 4, and this is an amazing book about God's love fully and completely. In 1 John chapter 4, if you look at verses 7 and 8, this is what he writes. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. How amazing is this? The Apostle Paul, he doesn't put a limit on God's love, does he? He doesn't put qualifiers on it. He doesn't set up who should and shouldn't be loved. He just simply states there is a difference between those who do and do not know Jesus. Love. There's a difference between those who do and do not know Jesus and it's their ability to love. And listen, if you're with us today and you do not know Jesus, you have not dedicated your life to his teachings and to following him, you're searching out your faith, I just want to tell you right now that I am so glad that you have questions and you are searching out your faith in Jesus with us. Uh, I'm so grateful you're here. And what I'm about to unpack may seem very strong, but this is so pointed at those who have dedicated themselves to Jesus. So for today, you're kind of off the hook, 
but I would really encourage you, you're gonna to wanna to listen into this because I think there are elements of truth today that maybe this is the exact answer to the questions you have and what you're searching for, but the weight of this is not on you. It's on us. It's on those who sit at a table with Jesus. The Apostle Paul says there's a difference between those who do know Jesus and don't know Jesus, and this difference is love. Anyone who loves is a child of God, and anyone who doesn't love can't be a follower of God, simply because of this, because God is love. God is love. He is the truest definition of love, and, and, and he has clearly demonstrated what love looks like. Here's how he demonstrated it. Let's continue. 1 John chapter 4, let's look at verse 9. It says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. How did God demonstrate his love for us? He sent his son to do for us what we could never do on our own. God, who is the definition of love, demonstrated his love for us by becoming flesh and blood. By walking on this earth in skin like ours to live out what love looks like with people who really mess up how to love. This means, please hear me, and this is one of those weird things that we're, we're going to wrestle through later in the summer, but God and Jesus Christ, who is 100% God, which means he is love and the definition and the embodiment of love, when he walked this earth 100% man, he was living out a life defined by love. So when we look to measure love, we only have one man to measure ourselves against. It's not our parents, it's not our kids, it's not our siblings, it's not someone else. We can only look to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the perfect measurement of love, and we measure against him. He is what love looks like. When he walked this earth, he walked with a love for all of creation. For all of creation, which was created through him, he looked and he saw everything around him and it spoke to the love that he demonstrated. When he brought hope to the hopeless or invited the outcasts into community or he healed the broken who were all around he was actually met with anger, with frustration. He was chastised constantly. The way that he lived out love was actually quite messy. It wasn't neat, it wasn't flowery, and it very truly wasn't always pleasant for people. When you read through his biographies in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, these beautiful stories of the life of Jesus, what you see is that he never seems to be in a rush. And whenever there's a person in front of them, it's as though 
His eyes are staring into their eyes. That he sees them. That he's quiet enough to listen to what they have to say. Not in a rush when someone says, but don't you know that this is happening? And he says, it doesn't matter. This person is who matters. I always imagine him staring people in the eyes with this intensity that hopefully for one moment they would understand and see what he sees in them. That he would see someone who's been created in the image of God. That they would understand they are so deeply loved for just who they are in front of him in that moment. Not because they've performed or they've done or they've brought their best to him, but simply because they're broken and they're created in his image and he's all that they need and could fulfill them. In that moment, he loves every single person who's in front of him. He never wrote anybody off, did he? Even when people disagreed with him, he listened to them. He, uh, how many times did someone try to trip him up and he ended up asking questions to help clarify? Let me understand the heart of what you're saying because what you're saying seems a little off, but let me listen to you. I, I always inviting people then to take a, a closer look at their heart, to examine their love for God and their love for their neighbor at all times. What, what does this mean that Jesus walked around as the embodiment of love? It means that everything he did pointed everyone around him to a deeper sense of love to God and love to people and of value to themselves, that they understood their identity as creator, as creation, intentionally created by a creator. I know this sounds so cool, right? It sounds so amazing. Who wouldn't want to hang out with Jesus if this is what it's like? I could tell you who wouldn't want to hang out with Jesus. Those whose hearts are filled with hate. They are filled with and fueled by control and jealousy. The very people that Jesus loved in these moments were the very people who lied about his life of love, that said this love was not real and instead it was lies. And that those lies and that blasphemy of love in his life is what brought him to a place that he was falsely accused, beaten to a bloody pulp for the very people he looked in their eyes and reminded them of their value. They cheered with every whip. They jeered with every hammer into a nail in his arm. And when he hung on the cross, when love hung on the cross, he was spit on and mocked and chastised by the guy next to him saying, if you were really love, then you'd rescue us and yourself. But that's not what true love looks like when yourself is at the center. True love gave up his last breath for all of humanity created in his image, gave up his very life, and was buried in a tomb that was sealed. This is what love looks like. Love does not keep ourselves at the center But my favorite part is that love cannot be conquered. Love cannot be conquered. It did not stay on a cross and it did not stay in a tomb because on the third day, love conquered. Love is what wins. 
love rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating the penalty of sin, of us being separated from God. Love bridged a gap that we could not bridge on our own and declared with fervency and boldness that hate cannot win because we are loved by God. And if we are loved by God, this is what Jesus has brought to all of us, to every single person who is here. And when I say we, I literally mean we. There is no one that's not included in we. There is no one excluded from we. We are loved by God, and he demonstrated that love for us through his son's sacrifice for our sins. This is so overwhelming for me. When I think of his love for every single child of his, at the moment of conception, as you were knit together in your mother's womb before you could perform anything or do anything or say anything, God is love and you as his creation are loved And he knew that you would mess up and that I would mess up. And he says, but I'm covering that in my love. So before you could ever try to win my approval or think that I can't bring it to you, it's already there. Would you accept that for yourself? With each and every person, we need to remember that they, that we are created in his image And his love never diminishes. It's not withheld. It's a ruler that continues with every child that's born. It's not like he hits his limit and went, oh, that many billions, too much for me. With every child, his heart grows because his image is expanded. Can we just pause for one second? If you're with us online right now, can you just do me a favor and just say thank you, God, in those comments. Just give him thanks in the comments, and you could do hands up, you could do whatever it is, emojis, but we just need to stop and say, thank you, God, for creating me in your image. And even if you're one of those with us this morning that you haven't dedicated your life to Jesus, that's okay. You've still been created in his image, and you can thank him for that. You can thank him that he loves you. Even if you don't understand it yet, let's just thank him, thank him, thank him. God, thank you. Ah, We are loved. For those of us who follow Jesus, this this should truly change the way that we lived. It should truly change the way that we live because when we dedicate our lives to Jesus, we become filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that fueled Jesus while he lived on this earth to love completely is the Spirit that fills us. And when He fills us, when the Holy Spirit fills us, not only does He convict us of sin, but He expands our ability to love. He points us in a direction of loving, looking, living like Jesus Christ does. We can love completely, not because of our own behaviors or checking things off, but because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We're supposed to grow in our relationship with Jesus, right? And if we grow in our relationship with Jesus, who is love, wouldn't you expect 
our capacity to love also to grow? Isn't this the measurement? We look at Jesus and look at ourselves and say, where am I loving like you and not loving like you? John is so clear here in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. I don't know how to say it any clearer than if you aren't loving, you don't know God. If if you aren't growing in your love, you are not growing in your relationship with God. I know that probably sounds pretty aggressive, doesn't it? We don't want to hear that. And if this doesn't cause us to stop and evaluate our lives and how we love the people around us, I have no idea what will. I don't know what else I can say as one of your pastors to to analyze your ability to love others other than if you don't love, you don't know God. It's as clear as we can see it right here in 1 John 4. Hear me on this. We've talked about this in 1 John before. But you can love people and not love God, but you cannot love God and not love people. And I'm going to say that again so you can amen it in the comments so that you can write this down wherever and remember it. Please hear me. You can love people and not love God, but you cannot love God and then not love people. It just doesn't work that way. As our faith increases, so should our love. And if we aren't loving more right now than when the moment that we met Jesus I really have to ask you, have we really grown in our relationship with Jesus? If you look the same exact way as you did when you said, I dedicate my life to you, Jesus, and nothing has changed in your capacity to love, do you really know Jesus? And again, I know know it's strong, and I know you're probably thinking, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and you've, you know, read scripture, you're probably thinking, maybe I'm not the most loving or I haven't increased exponentially in my love. But Pastor Jimmy, since I've met Jesus, I've read this thing so many times. I know the verses. I know the references. I can beat anybody in a sword drill that's out there. I don't ever miss a day of soaping when we do this as a church. As a matter of fact, I've got books memorized in the Bible. Maybe, maybe you're at a point where you've studied the deepest, toughest doctrines and theology that we have in the Christian faith, that you know your firm stance on so many topics that, that many of us have trouble finding ground on. Maybe you are an expert at defending your faith and being able to tell anyone why you believe what, they, what you believe and why they should believe it too. I'll be honest with you, without hesitation, I would celebrate that your commitment to Scripture is unbelievable, and I would say, let's study together, because I love that. Like, I'm all in, too. I'm all in. We'd probably geek out in Greek and Hebrew over passages, because that's what's fun. But if you know me, you know that I also have a problem, and that is I tend to poke the bear. I want to figure out Why? What's underneath that? In those moments, I I would be, if we were out for coffee watching, how did you treat our server? 
Were you kind? Were you compassionate? Did you pay attention to them? Especially if something didn't go your way, how did you handle that? Or if we were out together with our families, I might watch how you responded to you know, your kid who keeps asking for screen time and, and, and the time's all run out or the appetizers are getting here late. How, how do you handle those things? I would wonder if you kept getting interrupted, what would your response be? I'd look to see how you treated me because I'm sure there's something that we would disagree on. I could disagree with everyone on something. Would you treat me with respect and dignity? Would you ask questions for clarification and wonder? Would it be filled with growth and love even if we didn't agree in the end? Would that be okay with you? Or, or would that conversation be filled with tension, aggression, frustration because I was not converted or conformed to your way of thinking? I'll be honest, I've had both of these types of conversations at Crossbridge. Conversations where we disagree, and I'm so thankful I'm part of a small group where I disagree with the men in my small group over things, but there's no group that I, I know loves me more and that I love more than these men. We are for each other even though we disagree. And I've had conversations where we've disagreed, and to be honest, I'm left sitting at a table branded heretic, ignorant, and people have left the church. Just because we know a lot doesn't mean we love a lot. Just because we know all about what this says doesn't mean that we will love like Jesus loved. There could be a billion things up here that we've memorized that never made the 12-inch track to our heart that's changed our lives. And I say this because I recognize that I have held stances and held my knowledge of Scripture over people at times that I've been the person belittling someone else because of what I thought that I was so confident of at that moment. I've used knowledge to build myself up while putting other people down. And I've learned very hard, what the, I've learned the hard way what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians when he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. In chapter 8, he, he says this, in verse 1, now, about the food sacrificed to idols. And uh, really quick, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about in Romans 14 that there's this tension between how Christian Jews and um, how Gentile Jews ate. They had issues with kosher laws, what's appropriate, sacrifice to idols. No, it, it was a real big mess, and so they began to like fight with each other over it. You can go watch it from two weeks ago and get a real big explanation, but that's what he's talking about here arguments over food. And, and he says this, now about the food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. For those of us who like knowing things, this hits pretty hard, doesn't it? I love how Paul kind of, we get these little quotations. We know that we all possess knowledge. It's almost like saying, yeah, we all know how much we know. We all know how much you know because you can't stop telling us about how much you know and you're learning. It's almost at a, like a shot 
at their pride about how they flaunt their knowledge and their commitment to that knowledge. And then he nails them with that line, and knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. There's a huge difference between knowledge and love. And don't get me wrong, he's not saying, I want the church to be ignorant, unstudied, and completely unlearned people who never go and learn about what God has to say. And therefore, they can't argue or flex their knowledge on anybody. No, that's not what it is at all. He's saying, you should know these things. I'm going to commit you to studying scriptures. Understand what it says. Commit this to your life. But don't let this be what you lord over people. You need to spend time in scripture. Why we study scripture as a church and soak together is simply because we want everyone to know what's in here so that if myself or Pastor Will or anyone else on our preaching team says something that doesn't line up with scripture, you can go, that's not right. Jesus doesn't say that. And that we could do this with each other, but even more than calling each other out on what we know, what would it look like if we measured how we loved We need to constantly be learning, right? To grow in our love, to figure out, like, what's it look like to, to love like Jesus? What, what do I need to know in my faith? How in the world can I measure? I mean, we can measure knowledge, right? I mean, we could look and say, where does knowledge fit? I know this, I know this, I can plot here. All of you students in school right now, I know this week was a nightmare in middle school and high school. You were doing all those tests. They were measuring your knowledge, right? But how can we then look at love and the life of Jesus and say, where do we measure our love? And the answer is simple, is we have to look to the cross. We cannot look to measure ourselves against each other. We can only look to the cross and say, do I look like Jesus? Do I look like this? And Paul reminds the church what this looks like. When he writes a letter to the church in Philippi, and in chapter 2, he simply says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is what I want from you to love. You need to look like Jesus. Measure yourself to Jesus and no one else. His attitude should be your attitude. And it's like, well, amen. Yeah, but let's look at what his attitude is, the two verses before it. It says this in verse 3, do not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This, this is what loving others looks like. And as we keep taking steps in our faith, our love should continue to expand for others, that we submit ourselves to others, that we give up our rights, our hopes, our dreams for the sake of loving others who may not be seen. Love that looks like Jesus is considered humble, sacrificial, it's patient, it's kind. It looks more like Jesus than it looks like us. That's the type of love we're growing into. Instead of measuring our spiritual maturity based on our behaviors and our opinions and how much we know, how much better would it be if our measuring stick was the cross and it was the life of Jesus? And to close today, I want to leave you with three questions that you can ask yourself to figure, how do I measure and which parts of my life really line up and which parts are a little off and it doesn't look like the cross? 
How do we find alignment? These three questions have been a huge blessing to me. And they, they're not my own. It's not like I'm super awesome and figured this out. They actually come from a book called Soulful Spirituality by David Brenner. And these are the three questions that he asks. And the first one is simply this. Am I fully present or distracted? Am I fully present or distracted? Jesus was the human embodiment of love, and he was present for people all the time. He never spent time checking his watch to move on to the next place, looking at a tweet that came in on his phone or a notification of what's next, watching the clock to hit his next appointment to show up wherever it was. He stayed present, unrushed, and undistracted with the people that he was with. That was a clear demonstration of his love. And when you and I are with people, there's nothing more frustrating than when someone checks their phone 10 times in 10 minutes when you just sat down for coffee. What's more important in that moment? Did you set an appointment to meet with someone to check your phone or to be with them? Jesus set it to be with them. And he gave them his undivided attention. And we need to ask ourselves, am I being distracted right now or am I present? I like what David Osbarger has to say about this type of connection. He just says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Do people feel heard by you? Therefore, do they feel loved by you? We can measure how we listen and be present. Our first question, am I present? Am I fully present or distracted? Our second question is, am I loving or judging? I want you to keep Philippians 2 in your mind. Keep Philippians 2 of this sense of humility. Am I loving this person in this conversation, in this interaction like Jesus would love them, or am I judging them? And, and when I say judging, here's simply what I'm saying is, I think sometimes we subconsciously establish different things about us and the person we're with, and we elevate ourselves with these moral values and standards that aren't agreed upon. And if we can do that with somebody, we immediately set them as other. And we can have a whole group of others that allows us the freedom to judge because we're better than that. And we set ourselves up because what we believe we think is right all the time. When we do this, we create these endless amounts of ways to categorize people we diminish their humanity and we never see that they are created in the image of God just as much as you are. They become an object or a project to be fixed rather than a person to be heard and loved. This question is so hard to ask in any given moment. So you might want to ask this one before you go into a situation or after you've left it and it might not have gone the way you hoped. Am I loving this person or judging this person? And the last question, and for me, I, I honestly think this is probably the hardest question out of all of them, and it's simply this. Am I open to being changed? Am I open to being changed? Jesus listened well even when he didn't agree with people, even when they shamed him for a stance or a group of people he was around. He was labeled, but he listened to why they said what they said. And, and he never pushed people off. He listened. Never pushed them off. And instead, 
He asked more questions over and over and over, go throughout his biographies, underline all his questions. He's always looking for clarity with people. I think being open to change is part of healthy dialogue. And if we don't have a, a disposition to be open to change or in humility, we will begin to close off our relationships. And the best that we could ever hope for is a one-sided monologue. And unfortunately, we do this with God all the time, right? We read scripture and we say, I want to look like Jesus. And instead of actually doing what he says, we say, I don't like that. I'd rather not change. So therefore, I will pray to you like you ask, but it will be me telling you, me asking you, never me listening to you, never me getting you know, excited about you conforming my heart to look like Jesus because that's too hard. And then we have the audacity to say, how ignorant is God that he doesn't pay attention to me, that he's not listening to my prayers he is, but the answer is usually there's a sin issue that needs to be conformed and changed into the image of Christ. This is going to take some work, but we're so stubborn with God and with people. If we're called to take steps forward in our faith to look like Jesus, this should mean our love is expanding. And as we close our time today, I simply want to ask you, am I open for change? Am I open to revisit a way of measuring my spiritual maturity and defining that maturity by loving others, looking like Jesus in humility? How different is your love today than when it was when you met Jesus for the first time? Has it grown? If it hasn't, do you really know Jesus? Because as you love him more, you realize his love for you is greater, you will love greater. Which of these questions is the hardest for you to wrestle with? Could you imagine if we loved like this with patience, humility, humbleness being present? What is it that you're known for? What does your love look like and how is it measured? Crossbridge, I love you. I want to be present with you and I cannot wait to explore with you a continued measurement of love towards God and towards others next week. But this week, would you go and love well, love others. God bless.